Grammy winner and four-time Emmy-winning composer Laura Cartman has scored the new Discovery docuseries Why We Hate. Hi, Laura. Thanks for coming on with us today. Thanks, Max. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we finally found a time to talk. Well, it's great to have you on, and this is absolutely a subject that's on everyone's mind these days. Sadly, yes. This six-part series traces the evolutionary basis of hate and how we can overcome it. Yeah, I mean, the other side of hate is, of course, love, and the other side of crime, I suppose, is forgiveness and reconciliation. I think that that also a really, really big part of the series, and of course, obviously, a big part of the music as well. It's done in a way that's very clever, using stories from the past and the present to reveal the nature and the primal emotion of hate. Right. What was the collaboration like? I worked mostly with Gita Gandabir and Sam Pollard, who were the directors of the show. Steven Spielberg was the executive producer, as well as Alice Gibney. They certainly listened to music and sent back notes. But, the, you know, I was really in the weeds with the directors. It was really it was a great process. First of all, the musically, they were interested in actual music. They weren't interested in wallpaper. They wanted music that was thematic by nature. They wanted music that expressed the entirety of the human condition. It wasn't just about like doing scary hate music. It was about the whole range of what it is to be human and what it means, as I said earlier, to hate and to love. So I think a lot of what we talked about was tonal. And the truth is, is that my first instinct on stuff was to go a lot darker and a lot more sort of horrific responding to the images that I saw on the screen. they brought me back and said, let's not go that far musically, pointing out the places where we're dealing with hope and redemption and finding those moments too was equally, if not more important than underscoring genocide. The very first episode, they look at babies. What does a baby <laughs> gravitate towards? And 80 or 90% of the time, they gravitate towards positions of love. And I think one of the most sort of elucidating moments of the whole series for me, when I think about inequity, not just hate, but sexism, racism, all those isms, there's one moment where they have two monkeys who are next to each other in a cage. And these monkeys share, I think, 90% of our DNA or something huge. Maybe it's even more. So they're very human-like. 
And they're both fed grapes, these green grapes, which they absolutely love. It's their favorite food in the world. And everybody's happy. They're getting the equal number of grapes. And then one of them starts getting fed cucumbers. And it goes crazy. It just like, because literally it's looking at the other monkey who's continuing to get the green grapes for no good reason. And this monkey is now getting cucumbers and it shakes the cage and really goes crazy. So I don't know if it begins to hate, but it notices the unfairness and the inequity. It struck me a lot about what it means to be competitive, what it means to push yourself ahead of others. And also this basic notion of what is it to be fair? And, and human beings, I think, strive for fairness. And then when they perceive that things are unfair is when it all starts to go haywire. And I think we see that politically a lot. And we see it in every aspect of our life. So that was something that really resonated with me and that I've thought a lot about. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point, because where is the hate? Is the hate within people who are feeling that they're being treated unfairly? Where does the hate come from? Like with the monkeys, sometimes they, they'll see something as unfair when it's just kind of the way it goes. Or somebody is taking something away from them that they deserve or that should be theirs. I scored all of that. So, I mean, literally, I created a score for all of the most important aspects of the human condition. I mean, it's what? It's opera. It's drama. There's just nothing that's more urgent or more important, I think. People have been dealing with hate since the beginning of time, and it's built into our DNA in a sense. When you get down to just your basic average everyday person, the hate within them often is learned. They are taught hate by their parents, by people around them, by their elders, and so forth. That's one of the big places. And the other place is basically using hate as a tool for power, to get more of what you feel you need, whether it's more money or more political power. I mean, the things that we know that we see happening in the world today. And leaders who are invested in those kinds of political standpoints understand how to use it as a tool and have throughout history. So the episodes, I believe, are Origins, Tribalism, Tools and Tactics, Extremism, Crimes Against Humanity, and Hope. When you were scoring each episode, did you take a different approach? How did you deal with that? No, not really, because in every episode, there's some aspect of hate that's very dark and very bleak. And then there's some aspect of redemption. So. There were major themes that carried over, obviously modified and changed depending on what else went on in the episode, but there is a redemption theme. There are like three or four sort of dark process themes. There's a hate detective theme, and the hate detectives are kind of the hosts of each episode, and they basically lead us through the major material for the episode. But I think even in Origins, you have redemption, and in Tools and Tactics, you have the people who've come out on the other side, or the people who are working against the political forces that are employing these negative weapons of destruction. So it was more about sort of creating these themes and then populating the episodes with them as they came to be.
And then, of course, you have hate in many forms. Hate with respect to race, hate with respect to religion, hate with respect to social beliefs, hate that's revealed in everyday life, whether it's rivalries or disagreements or political partisanship or loyalty. Two English football teams who are highly competitive and sometimes it's tribalism and the matches break out into violence among fans. Sometimes hate is shown in a way that's fueling mass destruction. Other times hate is shown in everyday life or on social media. Did that affect the music at all and your compositional style? I mean, I think it did a little bit. The instrumentation is the same throughout the show, but I think you're talking about different scales. You know, if you're talking about Megan Roper Phelps, it's a big story, but it's about a person who goes through a transformation. When you're talking about either the Holocaust or the Rwandan genocide, you're talking about massive movements of people people. So I think you're dealing with experiments. There's a sort of a section where they deal with the Stanford prison experiment and some of these kind of, you know, mid 20th century experiments. I mean, that's obviously going to be structured more in process than it is in massive movements of humanity. Or you have Viktor Orban, who's the prime minister of Hungary, you know, in this sort of rise of nationalism with our own president here as well. So you're dealing with that differently. So that everything has its individuation, but the themes fundamentally are the same, just the orchestration and the rendering of of the themes uh, changes within these various contexts. And the series not only attempts to display hate and reveal it, but also through experts try to understand the root of hate to try to address it. The experts are the hate detectives, and then, of course, other people are interviewed on camera. But I think that's what's so powerful about the series. It's not just about looking at emotion. It's about looking at the science behind it. Why do we do these things? How do we do these things? When are they successful? When are they thwarted? And that is really interesting. Some of the most inspiring stuff was individuals who stand up to it, and mostly it's through communication. There are people who stand in front of guns, sure there are, but there are also people who just reach out on Twitter to somebody who's espousing hate and talk to them and say, you know, so what's up? What are you thinking? And and like some of these conversations that were had, or, or there's one story about a neo-Nazi and he gets hired by a, a Jewish man to work for him. And the guy says, you know, you know, I'm a neo-Nazi. And the guy says, yeah, are you good at building furniture? And he said, yeah. He said, okay, that's what I care about. This guy's a Jew, you know, and he didn't not hire the guy. He showed him humanity and it changed him. It's a real pleasure to work on the show. I, I know it's hard to imagine working on something that's called Why We Hate and having it be a pleasure, but the pleasure of it was not only getting to really write music that I wanted to write and sort of modernist and intense and dark and foreboding, but also to spend time with people who were unbelievably good and generous. Well, you know, I wanted to talk with you about sort of a related issue. You're a composer in L.A., and you're rooted in the film world, and uh, you're a tireless champion of women composers, women musicians. I would say there's a hate element, but 
there is certainly bias. Yes, there is. And bias is a form of not hate necessarily, but unfairness. I think unconscious bias is a term that a lot of us are using that I think is pretty apt. And I think it's not about hate. When you have hundreds and hundreds of years of seeing composers elevated who are men, then you think of composers as being men. When you have a hundred years of seeing men elevated as film directors, you think of film directors as male. You know, you ask girls to draw a scientist and they draw Einstein. You know, they don't draw Marie Curie. It is this kind of elevation of people and it's what we fight against, that unconscious bias, which I think is very, very powerful. But you know, it's funny, Max, because part of what I think about a lot is the canon. As much as I'm a film composer, I'm also a classical music composer, and I think a lot about, like, driving in my car, taking my son to school, and turning on the radio, and listening to mediocre Baroque music. It's not all J.S. Bach, right? It's, you know, some guy I've never heard of that somebody has gone out and recorded, okay? Now... I would like there to be recorded mediocre music by women. And and I say that facetiously, but I know that there's mediocre music by women Baroque composers. I know there's probably great music by women Baroque composers, but it's not been uncovered, it's not been recorded, and it's not been performed. So it's starting to feel to me that until we correct the past, that there's not really moving forward for any of us. Like, we need to find those pieces of music. We need to uncover them. We need to record them. We need to get them out into the world. And I think there needs to be like a massive Marshall project in classical music that encompasses this as a mission. You know, where is the female verity? Does she exist? And, you know, it's funny because I did a piece for the L.A. Phil last summer called All American. And I thought, oh, you know what? I'll find a piece of John Philip Sousa and have some fun with it. It was a commission for an overture for an evening of all American music. And then I thought, yeah, I wonder if there's any patriotic music by women composers. And I found like hundreds of songs, literally. So I based the piece on three patriotic songs by women composers at the turn of the century. Some of them were super famous. So it's part of what I'm interested in doing is not just pushing forward, but also helping in whatever way I can to uncover suppression of women's voices of the past. Laura, I really want to thank you for coming on with us today to discuss why we hate and to discuss bias and to really uncover some of the issues that we need to address in music today. Thank you very much. Thanks, Max. I'm happy to do it again. Call me again, okay? Okay.